Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What the fucking ears? What the fuckaholics? Uh, what the fucktopians? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my show, WTF the Podcast. As you can tell, my I might have a little nasal issue. I don't like it. And it was my birthday yesterday. It's my fucking birthday, and I was sick on my birthday. But I wasn't immersed in a nightmare of drama and horror like my 50th birth. Oh, wait. It's going to happen. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. That Why can't that? What a good feeling that is. Oh, my God. How great are sneezes when they happen? When the buildup is just like it was. You heard it. Just a little bit of buildup. And then, bam, delivers the goods. And you get that wonderful feeling. I, how how fucking pathetic is this? How pathetic is it? A sober dude, and I'm sitting here celebrating the buzz of a fucking sneeze. Wow, right? Look, I know that some of you already know this, but we got some. Uh, well, actually, you have new news, and and just a reiteration of some other news. Uh, you already know that the WTF archives are now on Howl Premium. You know that. Well. Guess what? The Howl app for Android is officially here. We got it. And to celebrate, Howl is giving you a chance to win a piece of my garage. I'm going to take a little saw or a knife or something and cut off a piece. And I'm going to uh, take photos of me doing it. And I'll sign the piece. And we'll have an official certificate of authenticity that uh, that you have a piece of my garage. So if you're a premium subscriber... And you haven't gotten this news yet, just go to wtf.howl.fm and enter your email address. Even if you're on a free trial, anyone who's subscribed can enter to win a piece of the garage. If you use Howl on Android, iPhone, or on your desktop, if you want to become a new premium subscriber, go to howl.fm and use the promo code WTF at checkout. Howl Premium is the only way to access all the WTF archives, whether you are on an iPhone or an Android or using the web. And if you're already a WTF Premium subscriber and haven't transferred your account to Howl yet, you can do it today. Your price and plan stay exactly the same. Check your email to see if the transfer instructions that uh, Howl sent came and they're in your inbox or send an email to support at howl.fm. Fucking piece of the garage. Where am I going to find that? I want to give you a real piece, though. A real piece of the fucking garage. 
We have a kind of a, a, a mixed bag of a show today. I've got uh, Jake Kasdan, who's a film director, also the executive producer of The Grinder. That's a new comedy with uh, Rob Lowe. It's going to premiere on Fox tomorrow night. Um, his dad is Lawrence Kasdan, writer of Star Wars and uh, many other things. Body Heat, one of my favorite movies. Um, and you know, Lawrence Kasdan is sort of a, a mythic presence here in the show business. And Jake is his son who uh, directed a couple of movies uh, in his own right. And I ran into him in, in New York once, and we talked for a bit. I'm like, you should come on the show. So here he is on the show. Also, in a few minutes, uh, a repeat guest for a, a quick chat, Fred Stoller, always engaging and entertaining to talk to Mr. Stoller. Uh, he'll be up soon. And uh, But what about, what about life, man? I'm 52 years old. I have, I have a lot to be grateful for. Um, thank you for all the birthday greetings. Thank you for listening. I am grateful. I'm happy to provide this show for you. I do, I do need to figure out what I enjoy doing, and I do need to uh, learn how to relax. And I do have a fantasy of disappearing. But you know what the problem with disappearing is? Disappearing. Terrifying. What if you really disappear? What if you, you know, no one really cares if you come back? Oh, that seems like, that seems like, you know, parent stuff. That seems like some issues. So Fred Stoller always makes me happy. Fred's book, Maybe We'll Have You Back, The Life of a Perennial TV Guest Star, is available now wherever you get books. Fred also has a podcast, The Mild Adventures of Fred Stoller. You can go to fredstoller.net for everything Fred Stoller. And I love when he comes by. This is me and Fred Stoller. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like lessons in chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Over. It was this farmer's market table, you know, with Paul Mazursky. Who right. Died. So after doing your podcast, people started showing up and sitting down. Just be- <laughs> because Wait, I mentioned. So Fred Stoller is back in the garage talking. I don't know why I'm introducing like that. I never do that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I thought you were saying, I don't know why he's here again. <laughs> no. There's this table at the farmer's market. Paul Mazursky passed away. But you were saying, like, what do you do during the day? Right. Like, what's your routine? Do you yeah. have one? And the only real one I had was there's this morning table of the late Paul Mazursky, George Siegel. All these people would sit there. Jack right. Riley, character right. actors. And I go, I sort of sit at the end, like the children's table, because I'm sort of with people, but don't have to interact. Yeah, yeah. You know, and... And then this people would just sit down. They would just say, oh, there's the table. And I heard it on Mark Marin. People go, who are you? He goes, oh, I heard you on WTF. 
And and uh, yeah, George Siegel's a very private person, so oh, they got mad at me. And then what they do? Did they have to move the table? Well, no, it didn't have. It there was one guy. He brought a really pretty girl, his girlfriend. So yeah. he kind of used that, and he was she was flirting with everyone. And they wedged themselves into the conversation. Yeah. Well, they were just sitting there and like staring at like people. it was like a, a show. Yes, yes, we're here for the show. Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, sadly, Paul Masursky died, but he then the table revolved around his dialysis schedule. Yeah. Used to be every day. Yeah. But then it was just Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And then he died. So people like Quentin Tarantino, Sharon Stone wouldn't come. You know, all these people would come to the table because of Paul Mazursky. Right. And so then he died, and now it's just two days a week. And who's there now? Um, who's there now? A guy, Charlie Bragg, who's famous for being a painter to the stars. Mm-hmm. He sells paintings. Um, there's one person I won't mention his name. He's an actor, but he won't look me in the eye. It's so. I never was one of these guys at the comedy cell who would sit there with Colin and and argue about race relations. Fuck you. So there's one guy I won't mention his name. He's a very aggressive comedian. Uh-huh. You know him, and and they like to argue. So so you just sit there frightened. Uh, yeah. Well, I again, I like I I don't like being isolated. So right. I sit. Like at a table to the side, so it feels like I'm with people, but I'm not in the mix. You know what I mean? Like the children's table, so right. I'm not well, alone. You're, like, you know, you're just a quiet guy uh, at yes, the end. Yes, I'm not committed so to it. So when did you write this, maybe we'll have your back book? <clears throat> well, actually, the thing was, I had this in the making for like 10 years. And it's a memoir. It's a memoir. See, I think... Um, I don't know if you're a sports guy. Not, not really. Not, like not at all, Moore actually. It's all right. Okay. But I like, I like following people. I used to love what's called garbage time. Mm. I'm not saying I'm a garbage time player. When they're up by 30, they throw in these guys and I'm rooting for them. Yeah. Oh, this guy gets to make a basket. <laughs> and or people. So I felt like uh, being a sitcom actor, I, I've never been a regular. So I always was attracted to stories of people, <clears throat> excuse me, that what it's like going from show to show, the guy, like a foster kid, going from show to show, (laughs) hoping one keeps me on. You know what I mean? Right. So I had this idea when I was doing a lot more guest spots, because, you know, I've been on Seinfeld, Raymond, what it's like walking on eggshells, which stars are assholes to you, who lets you eat lunch with them. Right. I thought that's interesting. (laughs) So then many years ago, I wrote up a draft and this is before PDFs. Right. So then I'd get a lead on a literary agent. Yeah. And I'd send them a, and I'd print it up. You know, I have to do double space. Yeah, yeah. And go to Kinko's. And it would cost me 40 <laughs> bucks to send. And they'd go, they'd say things like, uh, it's not gritty enough. Because, you know, they want 30 days in rehab. Yeah, you yeah. know, I yeah. masturbate you, on kids in the street. <laughs> and mine's just a guy who walks around the Grove, but... And you, sits at the end of a table and doesn't talk. Yeah. Well, I'm really selling the book. <laughs> but, um, oh, some of them, <laughs> some of them, one of them was interested, but he said he wanted a happier ending. Because I didn't have that. Oh, now I'm a regular on, you know, yeah, parks now, and recreation. Now I talk at the table. Yes. And one of them actually said... Uh, we wish there was more sex and then a joke I it's me too you know because it's not you know so then um, I sat in my computer because I, I kind of gave up yeah, you know and right. I gave up I said maybe one day I'll really be famous and I'll have memoirs but then I, you know with PDFs I was able to send it around without right. it costing 60 bucks 
and people said, this is kind of interesting. I said, yeah, I'm not so much the perennial guest star guy anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I said, eh, these are still good shows. So someone had a lead, something called Kindle Singles. Have you mm-hmm. heard of it? Well, mm-hmm. besides me? No. Okay, it's really, really, it got big because it's these, on Amazon, these books. Right, you books. just put them right on the Kindle and the, you, you can self-publish. No, no, but I was lucky because I, the editor where it's on Amazon's main page. Right. So anyone could do it, but this is... Hey, these are the ones Amazon likes. Oh, right. So it was called my Seinfeld year. I just siphoned off the chapter about what it was like writing on Seinfeld for a season. So that was from the book that you had been working on. Yes. I I sent the guy the book. He goes, this is funny. It's sad. It's good. But how could this be a single? Then I thought, oh, the Seinfeld chapter stands alone. Right. What it was like trying to maneuver with Jerry and Larry. And they did a nice cover, and it did really well. So someone helped me get a, a literary agent, and then I buffed it up. And then I got all the same rejections, like, who cares about a guy who's, you don't know, you sort of know his face. <laughs> they, I was getting these emails that are, like, really putting me down. Like, right. we think the Seinfeld is all he's got. One of them said, I'm glad Fred still had his moment in the sun, but we don't see this as a book. <laughs> And actually, because you're a podcast, I got right. a marketplace. And, oh yeah, and it and it and it did well. So yeah. then it was funny as I was getting rejections, I was b- buffing it up. Go all right. So then I I forgot I had a one night stand with Kathy Griffin. <laughs> so I put that in. That's the sexual stuff she wanted to punch me. That, that's the big seller. That's the big pitch. I found one. <laughs> I I found a a celebrity. A I, sad fucking uh, sexual experience. Yes, exactly. A very sad yeah. one. And so then I, I got some uh, publisher and... Uh, Did you thank Kathy? <laughs> I, I, I should have. Yeah, I, I sh- I, I'm thanking her Remember now. Remember that She's, horrible night? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the funny thing is, is that um, she, you know, I don't know if I want to go this no, lunatic sued me and stuff, um, but all the people I was afraid of could care less. Like she went on Howard Stern and yeah. somehow Stern heard about this said... This guy, who's a schmuck, you know, he's saying you slept with him and you wanted to punch him in the face after sex, and aren't you mad? She goes, no, I, I love it. If I see Freddie Stoller, I'll give him a hug. So, <laughs> so, and then I, Norm MacDonald, there was a chapter called Norm Stole My Jacket. Right. And Norm asked me to be on his podcast. I said, Norm, I got to come clean. I said, you were a bully. He goes, I don't give a shit. <laughs> so n- no one cares, but the the people who I didn't think would, would. And um, I did things like I, I I had to do you know permissions. So sure. the cover had logos of shows. I paid someone to make them a little bit off, so I wouldn't get sued by. <laughs> so this this came out as a real book. It's a, oh, that's funny when people. There's one guy, Ronnie Shell, when you mention it yeah. at the morning table. He's, yeah. He used to be on Gomer Pyle. Yeah. And this table, they love when people are suffering because Jeff Garland comes to the table. Yeah. And and they don't like. I, I shouldn't say they don't like that he's got another show. So. <laughs> They go, oh, I heard it's not going to do good in the Midwest. <laughs> they just, they just so, love, the, they the, love the schadenfreude of show business. They love when p- people fail that has nothing to do with them. Yeah. I, I heard the new Fantastic Four. That's yeah. not going to do good. <laughs> That's what well, that, I see that in show business all the time. Yeah. It's just a sort of like negative speculation about yes. things. And it's nothing to do with them. So this guy, when I had the book, yeah. Ronnie Shaw goes, self-published, right? Yeah. Right? Like he was hoping it'd be self-published. <laughs> And I go, no, it's sort of a real book, sort of. And uh, so people can get it. 
they can get it. Yeah, and it's in, like it's got a cover and everything. It's got a cover. It's uh, on Amazon. It's uh, it's even in libraries. Someone <laughs> someone just on Facebook said they got it a library. Yeah, I haven't made a penny from it, but I don't care. It was ten years in the making. What do you mean you got an advance? Um. Yeah, define advance. No, it's, I, <laughs> books are hard, dude. It was, uh, yes. I was so thrilled. I know we say this a lot, like the money's not important to labor love. But that's. I went into a depression 10 years ago when it was getting rejected because when you're an actor, you get rejected and you're, oh, I'm a New York Jewish accent. Yeah. I'm not going to be, you know, a sheriff or a racist. Yeah. You don't take it personally. But <laughs> yeah. when they're saying, who cares about this guy's life, <laughs> all hard. these agents, it was... And at that point, you weren't doing stand-up, really. No. And, and, and this some was of the, my expression. Right. Some, <laughs> and, and, and some of the work would dry, had dried up on you. Yes. And, and this was... A, and so did, writing the book got you out of the darkness? Well, the darkness came when everyone said, who cares? No, no, years ago. But then, then um, yes, when the Kindle single did well and the book, it really, it sounds all as a cliches. It was my baby. It was really expressing myself. As a stand-up, I really didn't feel like I was like you expressing myself. I remember I did, when I tried coming back, I did a show and Steve Scroven, who you did a benefit for, can't you be like Mark Maron and sit? You sit on a stool and <laughs> just tell a long story. I can't because I'm at Flappers and I'm following guys singing Moni Moni. And you know what I mean? They're drunk. Mark Maron could just sit and talk about Mel Brooks. Yeah. So I don't have that. I could, That's why I quit stand-up. After 17 years, I came and stopped again. But the book... Got renewed interest in your stand-up? Because I, I heard that you were doing stand-up. Well, what happened was <laughs> people tracked me down. I didn't know there was a Jewish book festival circuit. Did you know that? There's a Jewish book festival circuit, and I think there's a Jewish comedy circuit. I think oh. Elon Gold is, does very well on the Jew circuit. I thought this window would open for me, but it didn't quite happen. The, okay, what happened? So the Jewish book So the, this woman tracks me down. She heard about the book. There's things, what they call imprints? Or yeah. what are, no, that's the, what do they call? Galleys. Yeah. You got a galley. galley. Right. And she said, we're in Detroit. We're the biggest Jewish book festival <laughs> thing, the yeah. oldest. And, and I thought, wow, I thought it's going to be like a Comic-Con where <laughs> Jews from all over, from everything, <laughs> sit there. So then I, I was on this circuit- <laughs> Yeah. Of uh, they no, they asked me to do a few. A few of them wanted me to do my act, like yeah. uh, Atlanta, St. Louis, uh, La Jolla. And when was the last time you did your act? It was like seventeen years before yeah. that. <laughs> so I thought, all right, I got to kind of remember my act. Did you look at tapes? I try. I tried that. Then I thought I should try to get in shape a little bit. So I, I was doing these like little events, pushing my book. Yeah. Uh, where I sort of thought I was coming up with material, like I said, yeah. like Kathy Griffin. They yeah, said, yeah. Uh, we wish there was more sex. Me too. Then I remembered I had sex with Kathy Griffin. All right, he suffered enough. Give him the book. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's get a Kathy. laugh. Yeah, I would get a laugh. Or I would, people, what else was part of the thing? Like, uh, I thought was part of my act where people think I'm rich because they see me on so one Seinfeld and they point to the Hollywood Hills. He must live up there. And yeah. then I point the hand where I really live. I <laughs> right. don't know. Just yeah. nonsense. Yeah. I thought, all right, I got some jokes, you know, from doing podcasts. Yeah. Or, yeah. So then I, I would try, I'd go to these comedy clubs to try to remember my act. Right. And it was weird because some of these jokes are 30 years old and they still work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not the weird, morbid one line as I did when I first started, but dating. Yeah. And, 
and I thought I felt oh I'm, I feel like I'm like three dog night yeah you know <laughs> come the hits man yeah like these thirty year old things play joy to the world yes yeah. I go and at first I go I'm having fun because I don't have an agenda I'm not going to do a Netflix special yeah, yeah. or a right. CD or a, so at first I go I thought. I always I quit because I said you can't dabble. Right. Then I thought, well, maybe I could dabble again. So, <laughs> so then, so this Jewish book festival circuit. Yeah. They have they have Jews in air, that volunteer, and in every city they pick you up at the airport. Yeah. And and then you have to schmooze with them before the show. Yeah. And and places like St. Louis or wherever, they're they're like. They don't look like Jews. We know that like every city had different Jews. Some had athletic looking, tall, Danish looking Jews, yeah. lesbian, <laughs> big Jews picking up at the airport. Yeah. One of them, they had young people because they were like 55 or yeah. 60. And yeah. they're going, hey, how's Howard? Have you <laughs> met? Ha- Could you believe Artie? Yeah. And so one of them, I told about Kathy Griffin. So this guy was following me around and go, who else? Who else? <laughs> go, what are you talking about? He want, Who else you sleep with? I want more. And so at Detroit, some of them came up to me. They go, I'm blind. You haven't done the audio. <laughs> there were two blind people. So that experience, did, it was different than you might have hoped. It was well, I, I kind of liked being flown to different cities. And I, I, I could tell stories yeah. about dealing with Larry David. And, and uh, I actually wanted to do the Jewish book festival circuit again for the paperback yeah so what happened was with the hardback i was lucky that someone sought me out but they have this thing where all the jewish people from alabama they're from everywhere yeah and they come to this thing in new right, york right and all these jewish authors everything yeah. if they even if they're self-published do a two-minute pitch yeah and they and you hope to get Right. It's like a NACA convention. Yes, yeah. yes. So then I said, all right, I'd like to do it for the paperback. Yes. They said, oh, you got to do the uh, the pitch thing. I go, well, don't you know me? I didn't have to do that for the hardback. Yeah. They said, no, no, no. So you have to pay $600, oh, it's put a yourself up in New York, and all these Jews are getting flown to New York going, I like him. <laughs> yeah, so it's not, I like expressing myself. I love you were the first podcast I went on. Yeah. I didn't know what a podcast really was. I feel like my mother, people say, hey, you got to get on WTF. Yeah. But you psych yourself out, though. I mean, you know, I, I mean, there is like a certain element to you, you're not going to, you, your brain's not going to let you win. I guess, but I still, I still like expressing myself like this, yeah. where it's not joke, joke, da da, joke, yeah, joke, no, no, da da. So yeah, it's one of the reasons why I like it, too. So, wait, so you want to talk about the real Kramer or you do? I don't, I, it's all right. Yeah, he, this guy sued me for defamation for the Seinfeld, for a million dollars for the Seinfeld, for the, piece. uh, maybe we'll have you back for, for, but for the Seinfeld section? Yes. The part that we talked. So this I is talk- the guy that Kramer was based on. His name's, what's his name? Kenny? Kenny Kramer. Kenny Kramer. Yes. So he decides to, to sue Fred Stoller for a million dollars. <laughs> for what? What'd you say? Well, I ruined his standing in the gay community. You did. That's what he says from the thing. Well, <laughs> what, what, what was the, the, the... Well, okay, so basically, when in 96, I was in New York, and he heard I needed a place to stay because I didn't want to stay with my mother. I should have stayed with my mother. That would have been less stressful. So he says, you stay with me, but you got to go on my Kramer Reality Tour as the special guest. He has a bus tour right. where he shows, hey, this is where they bought the cookies. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, right. That's it, his big racket. That's his payoff for the Seinfeld show. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I thought, okay. So I was just making jokes uh, because it's true that 
He had this sidekick running around the bus, screaming out expressions from the show. Everyone, the pig, the pig. Hello, Newman. Yeah. And I was writing how the second day in the tour, I was holding my hands to my ears. I couldn't stand the guy running up and down the bus. And I was begging with Kramer, please let me off the bus. I, I, I can't take this. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I said things like I was surprised a show like Seinfeld could be so lame down. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, you have a 50-year-old guy with a list screaming, not that there's anything wrong with it or whatever. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so then he writes this open letter to me on Facebook demanding a public apology. For what? Per- well, I called him an opportunist. Yeah. Which we all are. Yeah. And, uh, and so he sues me for calling him an opportunist. And um, he, he was just livid because, yeah, I said Seinfeld was lame down with this bus tour, which, yes, that's the, the probably the biggest show in sitcom history. And a bus tour with a guy running up and down a bus is, I guess I could say, a lamer version. Yeah. So you would say this is First Amendment, free speech, saying... Yeah. You know, and I said things like, he, you know, whatever. He, How'd you ruin his standing in the gay community? Okay, well, th- 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 this is... Uh, so, I said the guy screamed out um, when the, in the village where the gays are, not that there's anything wrong with it. Come on, not that there's anything wrong with it. So, he said, I said he was taunting gays. And it made him look like a homophobe for taunting gays. Kenny or the other guy? Well, it was the other guy doing it, but it made him look like oh. a homophobe because the guy. But you didn't that. say anything like that. No, oh. I said. Um, you just the, said what happened. Yes, the guy screamed out, "Not that there's anything wrong with it." And this, so Kenny was just—he he just got pissed off, and was—he he was pissed off that I—I I hurt his feelings. Oh. Say, how, how did it end? Seven months of litigation. Oh my God! Expenses because he sued the publisher, and we had to write. First of all, he's a. What's it called? A public figure and all this stuff. Yeah. So then, after seven months, finally they had oral arguments. Yeah. So the judge says to his lawyer, um, "If the supposed taunts wasn't the bus air conditioned with the windows down, so his lawyer goes, what if they're gays on the bus?" And then the judge says, "Wouldn't they know that's an expression from Seinfeld and not that there's anything wrong with it?" And then the lawyer goes, "That's the worst thing you could say to a homosexual in 2014." So. So so then the judge threw it out. Yeah. So then he appealed based on his lawyer never saw Seinfeld. He tried to appeal. What? <laughs> That's hilarious. So yes. Is it over? Y- yes. Uh, unless, um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so this is all in the book? Yes. And the book, you can get it on Amazon, and hopefully they'll have you back on the Jewish book. You know what's fun? The what? Jewish book. I, I, even on the book tours, I was a guest because- I wanted to do the Strand in New York City, you know, big sure. book thing. And they yeah. said, all right, we'd love to have you. What celebrity can you get? I go, what are you talking about? They go, well, to bring the people in. I go, but I'm the guy. They go, well, we. this is the Strand. Oh, no, so, they really? Yeah. So then b- before, you know, uh, right. uh, Amy Stiller, I know from New York, her dad is Jerry. So then I said, all right, I got Jerry Stiller. They said, all right. And, and then, so then they call me up, someone in publicity saying, will you and Jerry Stiller go on a... Uh, some big morning show, afternoon show in New York. And they go, he goes, I could get you on if Jerry comes. So he's co-signing for me. I go, I'm not going to ask him. It makes no sense sitting next to me. Yeah. So it was kind of, yeah. Did you get Jerry to do the event? He did. And how was that? It was a lot of fun. It was a homecoming in New York. Um, he was great. Uh, I, I did Nice it. of him to do it. 
it was very very nice he good guy he yes menchie i got i got i learned about getting blurbs yeah oh good ray romano wrote the forward and oh it's great it's 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 uh so it's updated it's not a 10 year old book i i put in stuff that you know, I buffed it up. Well, I think you're hilarious, and I and and, and I'm glad you came back, and I'm glad things sort of. So you uh, get it when I would some, do, some ways worked out for you. So when I would do podcast, they would end the podcast. Maybe we'll have you back, Fred. He he he. You know, so that's that's, that's a good tag. You can always come back. Hey, Mark. I I really again. This is. Uh, I hope I wasn't. No, I love you, man. All right, because sometimes I'm trying to get all the stories in. It's all right. The it's first a- time I was on this, there was. I wasn't trying to score. I was just trying to talk. Well, you know what? I don't. It didn't feel like you were trying to score, and and you no, were, no, first you, time. Yeah, no, no, this time either. It was oh. exciting, and you know, and I think that people that that uh, listened, to, if they remember the first time, and they, the, I think we're all happy that this thing worked out a little bit. And if you don't want to do stand up uh, anymore, you don't I, have to. I I love being conversational. I'll do it. I was supposed to open for Norm Macdonald in Austin, and that would have been fun. Me and yeah, Norm, right? I have it. Yeah, but just but just to just I, I say I still say you can't dabble, and ninety nine percent of comics I know rather do that than anything else. Yeah, and I think you kind of got to be that. All right, Fred. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. <laughs> Oh my God! It always makes me feel better to talk to Fred. Go to his website. Get it. You know, get in, get involved with Fred Stoller at uh, fredstoller.net. Will you? Can you? So Jake Kasdan is a good guy. Like I said, I met him once before. We have some common friends, but it's one of those situations where you know I'm a pretty huge fan of his father, and I think a lot of you might be. You know what I'm saying? He, uh, you know, he wrote The Empire Strikes Back. He wrote The Raiders of the Last Ark. He wrote and directed Body Heat. He wrote The Return of the Jedi. He wrote, directed uh, The Big Chill. Um, you know, Grand Canyon was an interesting movie. He's done a lot of movies that I didn't see, and he's back in business with the uh, Star Wars uh, franchise. But but that's his dad. So, you know, part of me is sort of like, what's it like growing up with that guy? So I can't avoid that stuff. But Jake is done, when he was a little kid, he had small parts in a few of his dad's movies. But he was also involved as a director and producer on Freaks and Geeks. You know, he made a couple of movies, Zero Effect. He directed Orange County. He uh, produced, wrote, and directed the TV set. He directed, produced, and wrote uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox uh, story that some people know. He directed Bad Teacher. Like, and, you know, and he directed Sex Tape. He did some other stuff. But, you know, he's a young guy that's, you know, that's obviously capable and has done some great work. And it was, uh, but you know, there's still part of me that's like, Lawrence Kasdan's your dad, but I'm sure he gets that all the time, but he's a sweet guy, and uh, and it's a good story. It's a good career story. It's a guy that sort of had to adapt and learn how to do a lot of different things, and, and I enjoy talking to the uh, the young Mr. Kasdan. As I said earlier, he's the executive producer of The Grinder, which is that comedy that's coming out with Rob Lowe tomorrow night, Tuesday, September 29th, 8.30 p.m. on Fox. So this is me and Jake. Kasdan. He's a comic. Uh-huh. He lives a comic's life. Uh-huh. Yeah, he could use it then, maybe. Well, he could definitely use the car. Yeah. But, you know, he's going to give me a couple grand for it, and then part of me sort of like, ah, 
<laughs> I'm doing all right. right. Give him a minute. Take the car. Maybe this is a moment where you give, a, yeah, give, give Ryan a, a car. I right. get it. Yeah. yeah. No, I hear you. you. Have you had those moments in your life? <laughs> I, I relate to the moment, I guess, and I, I not that specific moment, but I- The generosity, I, Jake. Have you found it in impulse. your heart? It's an impulse. I hear you. Yeah. No, oh, it's it. an impulse. So now that might be something I regret. Maybe no, I don't think so. 10 years down the line when I, I have think, nothing, I don't have a pot to piss in. I th- and you're wishing you had that car back? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wish I had that fucking two grand. Wish I had that yeah. 2006 Camry. Yeah, either the two grand or the car. So where are you coming in from, man? You're working? I am. Got a new show that I'm working on called yeah. The Grinder. Yeah. Uh, with Rob Lowe and Fred Savage. Oh, really? Yeah. You're working on Fresh Off the Boat. I'm working on Fresh Off the Boat as well. And then... Uh, New Girl, which I've worked on for years now, is uh, starting to figure out their next season. The writers start working next week. Explain to me how TV works, Jake, yeah, sure. and then we'll move back. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you know a little, though. No, I, I don't pay attention. Yeah, well, I, I just sort of, <laughs> my manager tells me, like, well, since you're doing this and that, we're going to get you this. Yeah, oh, no, go, right. Great. Yeah, and you show yeah, up. I get yeah. it. Yeah. This one... Um, They've all been a little bit different, but this one and New Girl as well were shows that uh, somebody sent me the script and asked me to direct the pilot. And um, in both cases, I sort of like loved working on the shows and worked well with the guys who created the show. And in the case of New Girl, it's uh, Liz Merriweather and on Grindr, it's these guys, Jared Paul and Andy Mogul. Um, In both cases, writers that I had known and been a fan, you know. But you're you're brought in as a director. Brought in as a director and producer. Right. And um, which which means different things in different cases. And a lot of times is just sort of, uh, you know, a credit. In television. Yeah. And I've somehow done it in a way where it means that I actually stick around for a long time and help them figure out how to get it going. But not a showrunner. Not a showrunner. Working with the showrunner. Okay. Like a consultant. Yeah, but like a consultant who's there all the time. Like a guy (laughs) with a job on set. It's a lot like a guy with a job, that's for sure. So it's a production. It is an actual producer job. Yeah, it is like producing But not a writer. Not writing with them in the room, no. So you bring to it uh, your- your, your Reading everything, watching everything, and then helping them kind of- Construction? Yeah. some of that shooting yes exactly maybe this isn't funny exactly maybe this character doesn't need to be here does this feel like of a piece with the last thing we right. did uh, okay. you know does it uh, is this about anything do, you're we, like do the, we care whether it's about anything you're you know? like the in-house fixer where's Jake the fixer a little bit sometimes <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah, for better or worse that is what it is a lot of the time you know? well let's go back let's track it because you, uh, you have a famous name to some of us uh-huh to uh, I think to movie buffs and uh, perhaps uh, Star Wars nerds. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly to Star Wars nerds. Yeah, <laughs> Lawrence Kasdan is your father. The, yes. The funny thing is that I first really learned about him through the first movie, through Body Heat. Through Body Heat. Yeah. You know that was like when I was in high school and starting to get into film. Yeah. We saw that movie and it was like, holy fuck, man. Yeah. It's like a noir. It's like a contemporary noir. Yeah. That's when he first started throwing around words like that. Contemporary noir. Yeah. And that's like an insanely cool movie, too. It and, is a and good it's one movie. that holds up and it's so good. Yeah. So you grow up with that guy. Mm-hmm. Where, were you, where were you born? I was born in Detroit. 
but we moved out here when I was really young. Right. And um, he, so that he could start trying to do that work. And do you, do you remember that? Do you remember the struggle for him or were you already in, we do, are your first rem- memories on the set being held by Harrison Ford or <laughs> <laughs> running up, pushing that boulder yeah, maybe? Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Do I remember the boulder? <laughs> yeah. No, we, uh, I remember when it was starting to happen and the excitement around that, but I was a little kid, you know, and I remember, I remember the transition from a, little kid's point of view of from nothing going on like he was working in advertising is that what he did he's yeah and like copywriting mm -hmm, copywriting it's interesting that that's sort of like a creative person's outlet sometimes initially like like creative people who are either you know clever and visually creative but also like literary do that yeah and are frustrated by it of course is a a big, big part of it you know and i think in his case there was a little bit of like um, he was kind of willfully doing something that he was frustrated by, knowing that it would help, you know, spur him on to right. other stuff. Oh, really? Uh, so he's that guy? Like, I need to hate myself good and deep. <laughs> I guess he might have had a little <laughs> bit of that. You know, he needed to... Uh, to move on. Yeah, a little. I mean, I think he was, you know, uh, he was very focused on what he wanted to do, and he was writing like crazy, but... Um, screenplays. That, yeah, screenplays. And you have a younger brother? I do. Now... So you remember when Body Heat opened well, perhaps? I, d- I don't really. I don't really remember that detail of it. I remember when he was making it. I remember um, like going to visit where they were shooting in Florida. And meeting William Hurt. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. And um, his weird nasal, like, oh, so, well, how's he talk? He's got that. He's got a very specific way. He of, has uh, a very specific rhythm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sound, yeah. That's probably more memorable than... The screenwriting and all that stuff is meeting that weirdo. I remember that. And then, you know, they made a bunch of movies together, so he was kind of around yeah. for, for years. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. At the house? A little bit. I mean, there were William's here and... again. Yeah. <laughs> Why is he outside, Dad? Why is yeah. William Hurt outside? He, he was initially like the guy who, you know, he was in all the movies that, that my dad made at that time. Do you ever- Him did and you... Kevin Klein. Right. Yeah. Those are big actors yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah. Do you like, when do you remember, because I'm assuming, mm-hmm. you get along with your dad? We're very close, yeah. Well, that's nice. You seem like a guy that gets along with his family. It's a nice thing. Strikes me as that. <laughs> Pleasant disposition. You can, you can tell right away. Yeah, you know? can actually. <laughs> I'm sure you can at this point. <laughs> yeah, you've probably talked to enough people about their family to where they uh, walk in your door, sit in the... I'm sure I, when the president got here, you probably thought... I knew that he had a problem with his father. <laughs> I, I knew immediately. Well documented. looking at him, yeah. Well documented problem with his father. I, I cheated on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, you were like I think I mistook. I thought that maybe you were the kids in the bathtub and uh, the big chill, but no, no, that was my brother. Oh, he got the the big. He got the bathtub. He yeah. got the bathtub yeah. scene. I am in there, but uh, he's the he's the the kid in the bathtub in the beginning because he was the he needed a younger kid. memorable scene. Yeah, yes, singing exactly. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Exactly. That's how he got his SAG card. I suppose it is. (laughs) (laughs) And you were in the movie as well? That was how he finally got his side. Yeah, Yeah. it's a long haul for him. Exactly. A lot of non-union commercials. (laughs) For secondary baby food. Frankly embarrassing work, yeah. So so you were in it though? You were, right? I was. I have, uh, I'm in the funeral scene. Um, I I walk up to Tom Berenger's character and ask him if... uh, 
for an autograph. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I watched the shit out of that movie. Did you? Sure. That's so, a movie that like you can return to every X number of years, and it will have a slightly different... Uh, right, as you get older. A little bit. And you know, as you get older, and then suddenly the characters are younger than you. <laughs> You're like, what? I had that happen once recently. And you know, you, you have sort of a With that movie? Are they younger than us? They are. I mean, they're like that. Well, they... Late 30s? Yeah. I mean, mid 30s. You know? It was interesting that movie defined a generation's evolution into sort of upper middle class, middle class people. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there it, it, it has a lot of stuff in it. It has a lot it's of not, stuff It's in not it's not easy to uh dismiss. No. Yeah. Now, mm. when you're growing up in, in with that guy, mm-hmm. y- you know, when does um and he wrote Star Wars after Body Heat, right? He, he got Body Heat got him to what? Mm. Uh the what did he write? Star no, Wars. No, actually it was the other way. He 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 was writing screenplays just like in, you don't mind talking about it, do you? Not at all. Oh. No, no. Uh, he uh, he was writing screenplays like at night, kind of, and while um, he's doing ad work, while yeah. he's trying to think of slogans, exactly, catchphrases. That's exactly jingles, maybe. <laughs> That's right, catchy stuff to say about yeah. you know paper towels. And, yeah, and um, does he have any to his credit? Is there some? You know, I don't really know. Like you never asked yeah, him. Like, you can point to exactly. But that's a Casden. <laughs> no, Larry Casden. That's an early Casden. No. Uh, I know you like Raiders, yeah. but this thing he did for toilet paper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a you know, it's like a area that he doesn't that. talk about that much. You yeah. ask, you Maybe never... he wasn't that good at it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like people would talk about it if you were there. Um, I, I'd love it if he did an A and W campaign. Yeah. <laughs> something ridiculous it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it was a Detroit-based ad firm, so it was probably car mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. centric. Oh, stuff. And you then got, even... I can't believe you haven't asked him. Maybe I'll have him in here. I'll yeah, ask you him. should absolutely. <laughs> but he he was like writing screenplays at night, kind of thing, and. Um, he wrote The Bodyguard. You remember that movie with uh, yeah, Costner? Yeah. yeah, and Whitney Houston. Yeah, he wrote that many, many years before it was made. Right. And um, For who? For McQueen. Stephen McQueen. Yeah. Many years. Yeah, yeah. And um, it was sort of like on the strength of that, I believe, he, he got the job to... And then another movie called Continental Divide, actually. And it was, it was that. those two what was, that, what was that movie? It was Belushi. Right. And um, it was sort of like on the strength of those two spec scripts, he was hired to, I believe, I want to say that it was Spielberg's company had had bought Continental Divide. Yeah. And he was hired sort of on the strength of those to write uh, Raiders. Raiders of the Lost right. Ark. And worked with those guys, wrote that script with Lucas and Spielberg. I guess they had had a good time in the course of doing that. And the story, at least as it's been told to me, is he sort of turned it in. (laughs) (laughs) As I've heard Agnazium. That's not not quite, but 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 I've heard it is that he turned it in. But also you maybe alter it in your head. But I think that the thing is that he turned it in Raiders. Raiders. And basically, like, that day, uh, Lucas said the the person, the woman who was writing Empire Strikes Back just passed away. Hmm. And will you take that? Will you do that? Mm-hmm. And so he went 
directly into writing Empire. So he wrote Raiders and Empire Strikes Back like in the space of several months. And um, those turned out to be fairly big movies. Those were popular. Yeah, I, and, <laughs> kids like those movies. They did. Yeah, and uh, and then off of those, he went and um, and made Body Heat, and and Lucas kind of in a um, uncredited position, sort of helped him direct. Make, direct, yeah. And so he learned how to direct from Lucas on the sly. Yeah, I guess so. Although I don't know if he was really there, but he was like he helped make it happen. Right. Oh, okay. And he went on to write which other Star Wars movies? And then he wrote uh, Jedi. The, yeah. The third. Yeah. And then he had nothing to do with the next set that came out fifteen right. years ago. Yeah. But now he's back. He's back. <laughs> and Are they going to put uh, that in the credits? Yeah, Lawrence maybe. Is back. <laughs> he's back. That's. I think that's how they at say the, it at Comic Con. At the scribe yeah. helm. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was sort of recruited into to working on the this new set, and then his role in that is has gradually increased a little bit, and so he's he's really involved in that. So that's exciting for him. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a wild thing where, like, thirty years later, yeah. Guess what? We're going back that. to space. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and like, uh, and people are interested in those movies. Sure, <laughs> they, they, people are excited about them. And you I, know, well, I a, imagine they're excited that he's back because he he probably represents to them uh, the integrity of the franchise in some in some way, like from the yeah. old days. Like, I imagine there's plenty of Star Wars people that are like, they haven't been good since Kasdan was writing them. I'm sure there are people who feel that way, and I, I think that he certainly represents, like, some continuity to the original movies. I mean, he is, it's not even just representing it. I mean, he has direct continuity to the right. original sure. movies, you know. And he's got a great sense of story, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, sure. so now let's move to you. And don't don't be insulted. When I had Jacob Dylan in here, it was a little more difficult to get him to talk about his father. But, <laughs> really? but I, yeah, but I asked. Because, uh, well, I, I, you know, you went into the same racket. Yeah. And I'm not at all insulted, by the way. Oh. <laughs> I, I am yeah. happy to. Not at all. Happy to talk. Well, about I think it. you know what what happens. Uh, not so much with what you do, but mm-hmm. with somebody like Jacob. You know, you're sort of publicly, you know, drawn into comparisons mm-hmm. to your father. If you're going to go out with a guitar, yeah. and be Jacob Dylan, people are going to be like, "Really? Yeah, that's a pretty radical example of that thing, too." No, yeah. no, but but it is, and, yeah. and I think that you know, on some level, in my mind, you know, I don't compare you to, but you think in terms of like. The decisions you make, obviously, as a writer, as a director, you you're not as public, and the and the comparisons are are, are going to be different. Right. But uh, there are sort of thoughts of like, you know, did you think about doing something else? Was it easier because he was your dad? But I mean, when did you start realizing that 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 show business was the business you wanted to be in? Well, I mean, I think that I had this incredible sort of access and point of view from a like a really young age that let me see what it looked like and what it seemed like and um you know it was really attractive like even when i was a little kid right um how could it not be yeah i mean it looked like it looked like the best job in the world you know (laughs) and um and he certainly reinforced that idea you know directly like this is incredibly uh fortunate circumstance and uh, you know realize how lucky you are like even as a kid right you know to be um, here yeah yeah to be tough, tough, game, the, tough this is what our life is like right and um 
you know, that we get to, that he got to do that stuff at that time. And I think, you know. Um, and he paid some serious dues. I mean, he was working, supporting a family, right. writing scripts at night, probably turning in dozens of scripts. Yeah. That didn't go anywhere. Exactly. And he has, you know, like this, he's got this thing framed in his office that's like everybody who passed on bodyguard oh really you know and it's, it's like <laughs> a lot of people yeah. and um, and then yeah. you know it's like so it's you know a testament to the kind of persistence of it which is another you know real um like lesson and a worthwhile thing to that i guess i could see close up you know that there was you have to no easy route yeah you got to keep working at it you know you got to keep working and once you do get your break you got to deliver Right. On some level, right? That's a big, that's another big important part of it. Yeah. And your brother's in show business Because it well? runs out really quickly, you know? You sort of need the, to- The goodwill? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, as, man, as much as there is any to begin with, which is a quite, you know, but there's there's certainly like- um, So you the, the jump between, so you're Larry's kid, yeah. to like, all right, you did a thing, uh, now you're in. Yeah, a little bit. It doesn't quite follow to like, you're Larry's kid- I can't wait to see your movie. <laughs> you know, that's not, it's more it's, of a, like, it's not a direct line. We got we got to take we got to do something yeah. with Larry's kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because now I think back on it with like a slightly different perspective, and I imagine. I mean, I think about the things that I'm asked to read, or you know, it. Um, I can't imagine it was like that exciting to read larry's kids stuff you know <laughs> like, like i can't imagine that people were stoked that they got that opportunity necessarily on that basis what, what, <laughs> what, what, what were those scripts you know i mean i, I don't know that like i mean i started writing scripts at a certain point you know and and how just, old uh i was like you know early 20s yeah did you did you go to school and shit I dropped out of a couple of different colleges mm -hmm. and then started basically doing that. What, oh, so you went, okay, so you grew up pretty much here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Bev Hills? Uh, in the Valley initially and then yeah. Beverly Hills when I was in high school. And you're living that life, Beverly the, Hills teenager life? Sort of, but like an, a, a, probably maybe like a slightly odd version of it. Oh, yeah? How so? A little bit. I mean, it was... Um, I went to high school. I finished high school at like a sort of small kind of artsy private school. At the, the one time. down in Santa Monica? Which school? No. My brother, you're thinking of Crossroads. Yeah. Where my brother went uh -huh. and where my now wife went. Uh -huh. But um, I went to a different one called Winward that was at the time sort of a another one kind of like that yeah and um and is, is sort of a slightly different thing now but um it was sort of like a progressive artsy kind of school and so it wasn't you know with a, with a surprisingly diverse kind of student body yeah that a lot of whom are still my very close friends actually like i kept a lot of close friends from high school were these hollywood kids people we would know that's the thing is that they weren't mostly you but know crossroads was, was. Oh, Crossroads a was a little sort of more developed and had a little more of that at that time. Right. Um, you know, there was a little bit of it, but not that much. And so it, it didn't really feel like a like a Beverly Hills right. life exactly. Right. Right. Although I'm sure in many ways it, it was, but it wasn't, um, you know, it felt like everybody came from slightly different kinds of worlds right. and the people that I was close to were sort of had a very diverse 
you know. So you weren't running around with the celebrity kids. No, I wasn't really like running around with celebrity kids that much. You don't strike me as the uh, the, the party guy. <laughs> no, I've never been that guy. <laughs> it's that obvious. Huh? <laughs> you struck you strike me as the the thoughtful kid that hang around with the uh, the delicate ones. Yeah, I was like a, I hung out with the I was the thoughtful one with the delicate ones. Exactly. <laughs> Just a perfect read. <laughs> Uh, you didn't want to maybe, get hurt maybe still am which yeah. is a, <laughs> like maybe nothing changes from the time you're 15 I, it's I, possible well I think not, not a little bit you, you, you do sort of uh, find that you're uh, uh, you're whatever you were with a little more confidence hopefully yeah and, and a little less uh, anger for me yeah yeah, I th- yeah a little more confidence and a little more although I don't know actually if I <laughs> It's a different confidence. I, I, I had a, I probably had too much confidence then. In some ways, I was very comfortable with my thoughtful, uh, uh-huh. delicate friends. Thoughtful, delicate friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I think that uh, I don't know. You I went to I, college. And I what? like all the same stuff I liked then. Like what? <laughs> I mean, I like the same movies. Yeah. I like a lot of the same. Kind of like I loved Bob Dylan then. I don't yeah. know. You what know, about movies? A, what movies were the ones that made you? Outside of your dad's movies, maybe, that made you want to pursue things in this business. I mean, I think, you know, I had, like, a, on the initially, like, I was definitely a kid who was, like, you know, just enraptured by comedies of that time, you know, the, the Bill Murray, Harold Ramis right. canon, mm-hmm. and then, you know, those kind of movies. But then there was a, as I got older, I sort of, you know, you'd start to, Get more sophisticated. Uh, hopefully a little more. And, you know, I, as I was kind of really starting to try to do the work, I was more focused on, like, you know, network and all the presence. Yeah. So you go to college to study what? Well, I went to college briefly, twice. What to happened? study... I just kept dropping out. I, I was unhappy in the first place and, and left, and then I went to another place where I thought maybe I would, would Which be Which places better. were these? The first place was Hampshire College. Sure, hippie school. So you Hampshire. went right from a progressive- You must go to these places. No, no yeah, the progressive- I mean, you, you must go to the, you must play those. Like you, no, I don't play Do you play, play Northampton? No. No? But but like it's funny to me that you go from a progressive uh, yeah well that was the thing was like school, th- but then school. I went to another one too because I went to Santa Cruz after that oh my god yeah I just kept going to you these just progressive never went hippie to schools a real school and they didn't like them so it was like <laughs> I didn't learn my lesson <laughs> I just kept uh, but, but I kept trying the same thing the and, freedom of not having structure was appealing to you yeah exactly yeah, yeah so much so that I eventually but, abandoned yeah. the whole endeavor did, did to where you, there was no structure at all did you get a credit for that uh, I don't. <laughs> I think what so. Do you, how do you want to design your education? I want to abandon education. Yeah, exactly. Wow, so that's your thesis. That was leaving the, school. And I really followed through with that. That's great. They must be proud of you. You should go back and get some sort of exactly. uh, 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 doctorate. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think uh, it's unlikely. Yeah. A, a, uh, Wasn't that kind of education. Right, yeah. right. Like he's back. Exactly. This is the guy that majored in leaving. Exactly. That's exactly right. I was majoring in leaving. So, okay, so you get back here and you're just going to put your nose to the grindstone and right shit yeah and then you know your dad said um i'm projecting everything mm-hmm. well okay look if you put something together i'll give it to uh my agent mm, not exactly but i i mean 
he wasn't that, you know, he was kind of reading stuff. For you. Yeah, and giving me great kind of like feedback and a really? lot of how I learned to do that. Well, let's from, talk about that. So yeah. what, what what was the first script that you said, all right, Dad, I, got, I did it. Here's 120 pages of mess that I made. It was, uh, you know, well, I initially before that actually had been writing, um, this will give you a real sense. I was writing plays in high school. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, so it's it was a lucrative undertaking. Yeah, absolutely, especially in high school. Yeah. And um, so I started doing that like really young and he could be, uh, he was a, he and my mother both were like a great sort of She's a writer audience. as well? She's, she probably wouldn't call herself a writer, but they have written together a mm-hmm. bunch. Um, they've written a couple of movies together. Which ones, Accidental Tourist? No, uh, Grand Canyon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, a, a recent movie called Darling Companion. Okay. And um, But she's like a thoughtful person and a great reader and... Um, and anyway, like in that at that time, they were they would read stuff, and they were very supportive, but also could be strong about like this is not really a play because it has no drama, that kind of thing. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that's know, a like, note, that, a parental like that, note, <laughs> kind yeah. of. I mean, you know, maybe slightly more. You're going a little arty, were you? Delicately. I don't even think I was. I mean, uh-huh. it was more, it was just like learning or, you know, trying to learn how how drama works, right. I guess, you know. And um, and so, you know, that we, it started very young. I had this kind of like conversation going with them that continued into the first uh, few scripts. And there were a couple of like, I'm trying and, you know, would try for a long time to get something to be really good and yeah. had a couple mediocre attempts that were right. uh you know probably sort of embarrassing and then got to one that seemed like maybe there was something to it and I kept writing that for a long time Which one was that? It was called Zero Effect and that became my first movie ben eventually. Stiller. Yeah, with Ben and Bill Pullman. That was my and first movie. It did movie. well? Did not do well. No. There's no way to uh, they, I mean, you know, it was, it was sort of um people liked it enough to where I was able to make a credible case that I could do more of this maybe. So that was a big undertaking. It was a big undertaking. And 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 throughout the course of writing Zero Effect you were uh in touch with Lawrence Kasdan, your father. I was. And and he uh he helped you in structuring it and directing it as well. And like locating what the big problem was kind mm-hmm. of in the in the writing part of it. And um What do those problems look like? Is it like it turns of the story? I mean is it you got no third act or what? In that case, it was probably like a, there's sort of a character comedy yeah. central to it, but it's a detective story. Right. And the detective story part of it was not totally figured out <laughs> and t- took kinda, a long time to figure out. Kind of need know? to have that figured out so it goes somewhere. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like it end, has an ending. and That's tricky. That. It was tricky and it took a long, you know, it was like I spent another year working on it or something before and once you got the gig did, who produced the movie did your did did your father produce it no it was uh castle rock oh yeah i remember castle rock what was that guy's name glenn 
the well, he was the yeah, TV guy. The TV guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember meeting with him post Seinfeld. He can give a fuck about anything. <laughs> that they all, that that uh, Seinfeld was very good for those what guys. The, yeah, what was they the other were guys great guys. Though um, Martin Schaefer was the president of the company, and um, and Rob Reiner, you know, was his company, and uh, and Rob was kind of around as well, and sort of had a, um, you know, would would respond and give notes and thoughts and oh stuff. so you got so to, he was like an early voice as well I and, kind of, uh, yeah I, kind of, I like his voice i'd yeah. like to hear him giving notes yeah he was great he was great and he's he made some good movies like watch the movie and suggest that you cut out your favorite scene and uh-huh like make you talk you, it all the way through you respect his filmmaking yeah well rob i mean absolutely and he had just this incredible run of movies you know back-to-back movies yeah it started with spinal tap right which is one of my all-time favorite comedies yeah and um and then the kids stand by me stand by me and, and then, then when harry met sally misery yeah harry met sally was right men. after that it's hard to think of anybody who's got a first five movies quite like that. yeah and that are that popular and that and sort of broad and audience appeal varied so that was your first movie experience mm-hmm. and your father did he come to set did he you know did he... they came to visit at that time but what about figuring out your way around the camera and shit well you know i'd been around it a lot and yeah. i had been around one of his movies wyatt earp like really closely um a few years because you're old that. enough to take it in yeah and i was i was i sort of had a i was there sort of um for most of that production and i was like the idea was that i was like writing a book about the making of that movie uh-huh. and um what ended How'd that up, book come out well what it ended up happening was the i i wrote this um i sort of like put together this kind of promotional thing from these interviews because I did like crazy amounts of interviews with everyone involved in making the movie like a lot of like behind the scenes like the cowboys who yeah. take care of the horses and yeah. the, you know like this incredibly detailed sort of survey of like everything that goes into making a huge western, western. Yeah. and then I wrote like a hundred pages of a book like an actual text about this like trying to synthesize it into something Yeah, and then you know, the movie came out and it was sort of like a disappointment. And I think that at that time- I liked I, the movie. The movie's great. Yeah. yeah. It was to the, what happened with it was disappointing to the people who made it. But it was, a, it was you know, it's a movie's really cool. It's a monster. It's a monster. And it was, you know, a seven month shoot. And yeah. it was just the, this kind of scope that, you know, it's like an unusual thing to be able to see. You don't see it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It was the last of them. It was right up there. And, yeah. that, you know, it's a, it's a certainly- a dying breed a little bit isn't it interesting your father's compulsion to make the yeah, that was the second western yeah yeah it was the second western and in silverado he i love westerns yeah it, but because there's and so did costner you know and they had that partnership they made a bunch yeah. of movies together and it was just this um but you know it was this massive it's such thing. a it's such a film thing yeah to, to sort of take that the you know i think what it seems like your old man might have liked about story mm-hmm yeah, you could put it all into a very human package with a Western. Create these mythic personalities. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, he grew up on them a little bit. Yeah. And it was just like, those guys love cowboy movies. You yeah. Know? So you're watching his relationship with the uh, cinematographer. And I was like, watching it really closely. And he had the most amazing people working on that movie, right. too. So it was like, you know, it was Owen Roisman, who was this, just like a genius uh-huh. DP, uh-huh. Um, who... 
you know, which had French Connection and, uh, and yeah. Network, amazing movies. And yeah. um, and it was this incredible sort of, you know, I sat there quietly, basically taking notes for like seven months. And, um, and then actually beyond that, all the way through the editing and everything. And um, it was, it was a real, that was your film school. It was a little bit of a film school. Yeah. So by the time you got to zero effect, you, you had a certain amount of I had a certain, knowledge. You I knew had your a, way around a set. I did. And I knew what everybody did. And I had some sense of how the kind of uh, mechanism of it worked. Right. And, you know, the intention behind things. And and then I surrounded myself with really good people was the other thing. And I had, you know, a DP named Bill Pope, who's like a brilliant guy that... um taught me a ton about how that worked and, and then but then you didn't do another movie for years for a few years yeah what'd you do i did i went and i made the pilot for freaks and geeks with and then Judd. how'd you get involved Judd, with those guys uh you know he called me up out of nowhere <laughs> and um and basically we had met once or twice through ben in the course of making Zero Effect. Um, and basically he 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 called up one day and said, there's this pilot that I'm producing uh-huh. and I need someone to come and direct it. And I remember he said, and help me with the music. That was like <laughs> in his head what, that was the, that was the yeah. hole that he needed filled or something. Right, and, right. Um, and he described it to me and I had been at that time, it had been about a year since Zero Effect had come out and I had been sort of, I'd been writing. I was living in San Francisco mostly at that time. I went up there for a little while right after that movie came out to just kind of like- Run away? Yeah, just get out of town for a minute. And oh yeah? Rave, see, well, how'd you see feel? friends and stuff. Were you, were you disappointed? Uh, you know, initially I was, it was a little bit of a- um, I guess I was sort of like I was disappointed that it it wasn't quite what I, what you imagine as you're making it in terms of when it came out, but it was also like a great experience, and I was really proud of it. And it's just the first time you you put one of those things out, it it usually beats the hell out of you a little bit one sure. way or another. Why wouldn't it? And I guess no I, matter how you frame it or what you've been through, what your family's been through, there's party that's like, yeah, this is a good one. This is a good movie. Yeah, you just hope for the best, yeah, you know? Yeah. And you, even if you know, as I did, like that it can go any different way, it's still, you know, and the truth is, it's always like that. I mean, whenever you put these things out, you're, you sort of know that it can be any kind of yeah, it might thing. Be, it it's be, out of your it control. It can be great. It can be brutal. Right. It can be, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I went. Was up to it well received my by friends, critics? Basically. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it had been. I, I had no legitimate complaints about right. anything, and I, and I kind of knew that too. You know what I mean? Like I had a, I, I, uh, I knew exactly what it was, sort of. You know, like right. that I had, um, right, gotten to do this thing. It was all I had wanted to do. It was thrilling and all of that you know and then you got to do it again so it's just like and i think that there was i'd been working on it for a long time at that point and i was just kind of like resetting and wanted to see 
you know, some friends who live somewhere else, kind of, and <laughs> yeah, be somewhere else for a minute. Find, seek uh, uh, refuge with the thoughtful, delicate people. Exactly. I'd lost track of the thoughtful, delicate people, and I needed to find them. <laughs> and where were they? San Francisco. They were in San Francisco, the, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah they, they, were, exactly. they were dropping out in a different way. <laughs> That's where they are. Exactly. That's it. That town's built for that. That's, exactly. That's where you graduate to. They felt like they had finally found the right place. <laughs> <laughs> they probably had. Exactly. And then Judd calls you up to direct and pick music. He called me up and asked me if I wanted to direct this pilot. And I, uh, he described it to me over the phone and described the opening with uh, the Freaks and Geeks pilot opens with like, uh, you know, in the bleachers of a football game, it's like a cheerleader and a jockey guy yeah. kind of like having an overwrought, um, very emotional sort of, typical high school television show conversation about their relationship and then the camera like drops under the bleachers and you meet the like freak dirtbag guys who the show's actually going to be about right and then you sort of like get into their conversation and then swing over to the geek kids who are like you know reciting dialogue from caddyshack to each other right and um and then get confronted by a bully and i just thought it was it was like in that description, I mean, and he probably said about that, you know, it just sounded, I, I just, I loved it. And I loved talking to him about it kind of, and basically said right in that moment, like, yeah, I, I, sure. You know, and I, I hadn't worked in television before and didn't really know that much about it. And it was something I was interested in and, and kind of on a whim decided to do it. And then they sent me Paul's script and it was great. But I mean, all this happened in about 36 hours and it was just sort of like, yeah, sure, why not? And it ended up being this experience that kind of changed, changed a lot of what followed, you know, yeah, so yeah. It still impacted a lot of So you directed that since. pilot. Mm-hmm. And then four other ones. So I, I, I directed about a third of it. Yeah. And, um, great guy, great and people to work with. And was there the whole time, you know, like stuck around. It was the first show that I... Uh, directed the pilot and then ended up sticking around, kind of. And that's become sort of what you do. Yeah, it's one yeah, of the things yeah, I do. Yeah, Jake for will sure. hang out. He's a, if he does the pilot, he'll stick around forever. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to hang out a little bit. Just yeah, give him a producer credit. He'll that's, he'll fucking he'll, hang out. Just he'll do whatever the thing is. He'll probably go do it. Whatever you might least want to deal with, he'll probably run down there and do it. But so that was an amazing experience because that you know that crew, a couple I've, who I've talked to, has gone on yeah. as you have to do amazing things and continue working from that from that hmm. uh, juncture forward. It was an amazing thing. I mean, it was just this, uh, you know, that you kind of couldn't have anticipated, really. Yeah. If you would have projected to now from then. Where everybody would be. And described it to everybody, you would sound insane. Well, the people that All three guys will be, you know, bankable leading men. Right. (laughs) You know, it's just like, uh, and Seth Rogen will be the first, you know. (laughs) I mean, it was, you know, I mean, everybody involved has kept going. And it was certainly the other side of the coin of my, it was the other major formative experience. And and also that, that, that show is, is pretty... Filmic. It's not a three camera yeah, box. No, that's right. So it, you know, it was more in your wheelhouse, anyways, coming into it. It was, and I think that I, I think that maybe that is something that I helped bring to it almost without knowing, because it was just that was sort of the look and feel that I 
that I knew and related to and I felt like was was right for that thing. But there was also just this huge learning curve at that moment. Um, about what? About comedy, you know, about like a, a, a classic kind of comedy process, um, a joke-oriented comedy process. Really? Yeah, that I because that's really sort of sublimated that. in that anyway as well. I mean, that's not again, it's not an audience show. It's not the comedy is very it comes from an organic place. You're not doing you know joke to joke. It's not punchy in the way that um, certainly a lot of those people, you know, their subsequent work has been. But it's it was definitely a world where it had to be funny, and if something was funny, it was going in the show. That would be enough to get it in the show. Um, you know, it's to, uh, a way of thinking about whether something's scoring and making check marks in a script and all of that, you know, just yeah. sort of like, because Judd really did come from, as is well documented, you know, uh, a kind of strict comedy background. Right. And um, I was really interested, but just didn't know anything about that, you know. So that's really what you had to learn. And it was a big thing, you know. Do you remember it every specific... aspect, of it. and also like you know the idea that they could improvise, the idea that uh, the you could depart from the script and what happens might be better. You, right. That you could um, shoot alternate jokes, and you know, and part of it was me sort of trying to figure out how to build a system for doing that stuff that kind of allowed for that room as a director, as a director. Yeah. And then I think a lot of what we together figured out about how that would work has informed a lot of what a lot of us have done since you know sure um in terms of like how can you shoot something in sort of a filmic way that feels like a movie but has that kind of looseness to it and, and all of you have done it all of you have directed pretty big comedies i mean you have mm -hmm. judd paul yeah. you yeah and i guess ben was off doing the stiller show at that time right during freaks and geeks or was that yeah ben was not involved in freaks and geeks except no. that he came to do a in a sort of like because we could feel the axe coming down on freaks really almost <laughs> the whole time it was on the air and um, just because of viewership yeah the ratings were yeah. terrible and we didn't really uh, you know that was um it had a it had fans for sure, but there was there was just a strong sense with the way the network would talk about it that it was not going to last very long. And um, as sort of a last-ditch effort to, uh, you know, trying to come up with everything we possibly could to be able to keep making them, Ben generously came and did like a cameo um, in what in retrospect seems like a fairly forced <laughs> kind <laughs> of story idea, which is that... He was playing a Secret Service agent. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, accompanying the vice president to speak in the auditorium of their school. But he was really, really funny. And then when you started to do the bigger movies, I mean, what was it? The, after Freaks and Geeks, you did... Um... I did that. Right after Freaks and Geeks, I did the pilot for Undeclared, which was Judd's next show. The sort of like the follow-up, yeah. follow-up. And then was going to do my standard hang-around thing. yeah. And uh, instead got a call to make Orange County, which had been written by Mike White, who was a writer on Freaks. And I knew from there. And, uh, and that's Scott the Scott was making that movie. With the with the Hanks kid. And that movie was popular. That was a good movie. It was somewhat popular. Yeah. You know, it was, it was popular enough. 
and then and then like then you start making movies. So now you're making mm-hmm. movies. Well, I was always sort of bouncing back and forth, which know? is not a bad I place to be. Continued to to do sort of both things a little bit, and after Orange County, there was there was a little uh, period of figuring out the next thing, and then I ended up writing scripts that didn't totally pan out and stuff, and then I wrote a movie um, called The TV Set that's like about the television business. I saw that. Um, I saw that one. Did it's you? like a satire. Yeah, kind yeah. Of. The inspiration for it somewhat counterintuitively maybe was had been the um watching the the sort of unraveling of john Kerry mm-hmm. in the uh, presidential campaign mm-hmm. and um which felt like this very uh acute case of the crapification of everything mm-hmm. where this some really worthwhile guy just sort of gets chipped away at by this process and that, you know, yeah, a, been, a very well-funded process of of character assassination. A little bit, yeah, the character assassination, and you know the the screwiness of that. And for, somehow from that uh, frustration, I started writing about this other thing that I knew much more closely. And um, we originally intended that to maybe be like an improvised movie, mm-hmm. possibly, but then ended up just writing it and. Uh, and put it together, very small. But then you did uh, Walk Hard, which is a big movie. Then I did Walk Hard with Judd. He he was producing, and he brought you in. Um, he, well, I had had that idea. He had called me up, and um, because part of Judd's sort of genius is that at exactly the moment when he could first sort of anticipate what was about to happen with him. And Mm -hmm. he really did sort of anticipate it in a way that I've never quite seen anyone do, which was right when uh, when 40-Year-Old Virgin was coming out, he called his friend, sort of, and said, if you've got anything you can think of, let's get a bunch of stuff going, basically. And we were, um, we had remained close in the time since Freaks. Right. And, um, and one night, you know, partly in response to all of the like biopics, there had been a few of these kind of big, very important, <laughs> yeah. elegantly made biopics with, you know, that always sort of feature these like a staggering performance yeah. at the center of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, but have sort of this very, uh, you know, the, the kind of like trappings of the important biography yeah, sort of movie. Right. Right. Um, I, had this idea to make like a fake one sort of like in a in like a ben stiller show esque, you know with with a lot of sort of filmic veracity that it would be this kind of crazy over-the-top journey biopic about a fictional musician who you know goes through everything all the way to 11 all of them combined every musical style and also you know i i i love music and i am a lot of my friends are musicians and my wife did, there is was a, a musician. There's an original so score like, on that, right? Original soundtrack. Yeah. That, yeah, it had, you know, where we tracked um, 40 original songs with John Riley, who yeah. played the character, Dewey Cox, John singing the songs. And it was, so we spent like, I mean, something like eight months writing these songs and working with songwriters who a lot of whom were friends of mine. You feel it. I mean, <laughs> it's a big, fun movie. It's definitely like... 
no group of people has ever worked harder for such an unbelievably silly idea, kind of. And it was, you know, it was this years long process. Right. And, um, and, and John was the perfect person to do it because he can really sing and he's just like an amazing actor. Yeah. So he, you know, can, could do it. Right. And could actually be cast in a movie like the ones we were kind of parodying, you know? Yeah. And, um, and just put everything he had into it. So it was like we all really kind of like left it on the floor in the most <laughs> insane way for this ridiculous movie. And it was like this really fun couple and of it years. And it got that. a rollout like one of those. They, they you know, all the promotion Yeah, no, was... we, 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 I mean, maybe it may have bit us in the ass a little bit, but we, we definitely were very into and Judd. You was, you satirized what you were doing, yeah, what the the thing you were making fun of all the way through. Yes, promotionally exactly. and every all the other way, way the ads, the trailers, the yeah. you know, Judd somehow got them to do like a like a parody of an Oscar campaign for <laughs> John and stuff. So it was like you know it would be like him running down the street in a diaper. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like. Looking just overwrought and dramatic, kind of, and um, he's a good sport with comedy. Oh yeah, you know he's he was awesome, you know. Yeah, so that was that like the high point of the fun you've had in show business was working. It was on right the- up there. That was as I I don't know if anything's ever been more fun than that. I've had some really fun ones, but that was a really fun movie to make, and um, and again like with you know this didn't really work commercially but it was this sort of crazy thing and then as soon as it doesn't you kind of look at each other and you're like well of course it didn't I remember like my wife said at the time like what did you think was going to happen it's like the weirdest you know what do you idea. mean what do you think was going to happen that everybody would like it yeah you think everybody's going to like you know and it's one of these movies that like people return to and we hear about and we all still hear about it uh-huh. and also like rock stars End they up saying it. it on the bus, and yeah. we end up hearing about that, which is great too. Like a wide array of people they that relate we, to it, getting, and they love you know, it, and we'll approach John various places. It's and a cult John. movie, yeah. It's like its own little thing, you know. Oh, did Bad Teacher do all right? Yeah, it did it good. Did. Yeah. It was it was a did did well, and it was a one that we um had. You know, it was just a really funny script that these guys, Lee Eisenberg, Jane Sidnitsky, had written, and I uh, thought, it w- again, I mean, that's a sort of the inverse thing, where I just thought this was a really fun little movie that you could do. Right. I just thought it was a really funny script. And then, you know, and kind of weird and dark. And then it ended up being this kind of commercial movie, you know, like a summer that's a, comedy, which that's I good. hadn't. Yeah, it was great. No Good complaints. experience for you? It was a great experience. It was fun with, um, I, it was the first time I'd worked with Cameron and that was a great, great thing. She, and Jason she was, was in it too? And Jason was in it and it was the first time that we had worked together in the time, you know, since, since Freaks. Freaks. I mean, we'd remained in touch and were friends and everything. Sweet guy. Really good guy. Just one of the best. And then you do some more TV and then yeah. you do uh, the sex tape movie, which was Jason as well. Yeah. How'd that do? Didn't do so great. Hmm. Got our ass kicked on that one. Did you? You never know, man. That's the thing. It's like it you can get your ass kicked on any given day. <laughs> you know. But you seem to be like is it because it seems the more the the ones you had a, a great deal of personal investment in, which would be, you know, Zero Effect, T V set and Walk Hard. Yeah. That you know, you you, you appreciate 
what they were and and you're able to put it into context and the other ones are sort of like you know jobs that either go one way or the other you know i get fully right immersed so but I, writing I, something and directing is different it. yeah totally writing it and directing but you it. seem to fare pretty well with it like you're not it doesn't seem like you're too beat up by the degrees of variation in, in the success of these movies or tv shows you just is it because you are able to sort of frame it as part of the job? I think that it's you know I um, or, or are you hiding I mean, something from a, me? No, Do you no. go home and yell at the wall? I mean, and, I, I when when you get the when you you know when a movie comes out, it's either kind of like you made it through and you can be happy about that, or you feel like it's like you got in a car accident, and I've had yeah. that happen a few times, you know. Right. Um, I've had both things and I've had it with the TV shows too, where it's like something can sort of catch for whatever reason. Right. And maybe not. And you don't really have that much control over it. Right. And when it doesn't go the way you want it to, you feel it much more than <laughs> you do when it goes well. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you continue, if you keep enough stuff going and you're, then hopefully you're able to continue doing the work, which is the main thing. I definitely like, feel it when it's hard you yeah. know and and can can get knocked down yeah but i do feel like you know there's sort of a basic perspective that you try to keep in is this something you learned mind, from your father you know? i think so i think it's partly something that i learned from my father although he has taken his hits as well but that's and, what i know, mean how does he handle it he can get down and i yeah. think part of it is you see that and so you know that it's there and it's so much time invested in these things yeah you know then you also just have a little bit of a i mean it sounds trite right maybe but it's just you're lucky to do it and i think that uh, so that um, stuck with you yeah a little bit and i and and you know um it did it did i i try to hang on to that you know when i was making my first movie um, as I was in the middle of, I guess I'm allowed to say this, but as I was in the middle of making my first movie, uh, he's talked about it. My brother got very sick, and um, he he had a he had a Hodgkin's disease, which mm-hmm. is you know they always say like the most treatable. That's uh, that's the cancer, cancer the cancer yeah. you want, right? Um, which was still you know, shake you to your bone kind of terrifying at yeah. the time. Yeah. And um it was right while I was like in pre production on yeah. Make Zero Effect. And there was something about that I really do feel that has truly stuck with me, which is you know, the best, most exciting phone call you ever get it could be separated by ten minutes from the most terrifying phone call you ever get that will make everything else in your world seem incredibly small. That you, your you brother know. has cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, he was then treated and he's, you know, now I knock wood every time I talk about it, but it's, it's been a long time that he's been healthy. Um, and you guys are close and we're really close. Yeah. And I think that it, I mean, we're really close. Like, we talk all the time, you know? And I think that um, you need to have access to the part of you that remembers that a little bit. Perspective. Yeah, you know, because you... uh, 
you can get wound up in this and the work is like you say it's you know you can get you can get lost in it a little bit and it's a lot of time and it's a lot of energy and you can take stuff personally but you do have to sort of keep some access to just you know what's some, important. some sense of scale yeah scale and what's important and you know it sounds like you know your family's tight yeah and you know you're making a living you're doing That's all exactly right right and and, and the main thing is continuing to do the work, which sure. I love. You know, it doesn't mean that I don't have. I can be tough on myself about what I'm working on sometimes, and you know, like it's been too long like since I've made a movie. You. It's been no, not exactly like it's beneath me, but like it's like. What am I doing? Am I swinging hard enough? Right. Kind of. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, am I? Am when I? When you're doing a lot of TV, yeah, of a certain you, kind, you can feel it a little bit. You're like, exactly. I, when am I going to write a movie? Yeah, you yeah. feel like, and then you know, you can get all the way down the road on a movie and go like, Ugh. is this? A, <laughs> what am I doing here? Is this the right thing? <laughs> am you I going to be out of TV jobs? You can, you can if have I stay some <laughs> kind of massive insecurity about whatever it is that you're working on. Sure. You know, and. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I can, so I can, uh, I'm certainly go through all of that, you know, process about, sort of neurotic process about, Hard about on the yourself. work, but, yeah. but I, I do love doing it and I'm, I'm, you know, you try to keep in touch with that, I guess. And, you know, the TV stuff gives you a great opportunity to continue to hone various sure, man. skills which i really love no, absolutely. and work with incredibly funny people and like it's the, interesting that you know you are able to do both yeah. and you've done big budget movies yeah and you, you know you continue to work as a tv director and then go do a big budget movie whether yeah. it fares well or not yeah. that eventually jake when the moment comes yeah. <laughs> when you've got the idea. Yeah, exactly. That's going <laughs> to maybe it's going to just fucking knock it out of the park. You're exactly. you're going to be so on top of that shit. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I mean, you definitely know that like when you um one big thing and this goes back to the freaks thing is like you just never know what you're going to decide to do one day that's going to end up affecting the, the yeah. next many years of your life. And I've had this experience with television a lot where you find some major collaboration that you that I would put up there with anything you know um and it's like that's where I that's where I met Judd that's where I met Siegel you know it's, uh Liz Merriweather I work with on New Girl it's we're years into that now and that's like a great thing that you know has has had a lot of different um you know she kind of has helped me out on other stuff and, yeah you, you just never know where these things are headed, you know? And sure. You, um, yep. So it's, it's I, I, I take it all for, try to figure there's usually something good in there. Okay, know? well, the question, are you working on a movie? A little bit. Yeah, I'm trying. I mean, right now I'm in deep on these shows, though, for the fall. Well, yeah, Jesus, you got the grinder and you've got the- It's potentially uh, a 60-episode Fresh year. off the boat, right. So you're in for TV for a little while. For this year, I'm I'm in deep, yeah, you know. Focused. Kind of, yeah, I try to just keep it all in your head. and Yeah, so, but you know, do you do, do you make notes sort of like, uh, yeah. like okay, this is a scene. Like you I know, continue to write a You've little, got the, you know? the framework of the film in your head and just like a scene will pop out sometimes or what? Or more like an idea and then right. the framework is like the last thing to okay. fall right. into place. Sort all of. right. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, well, fucking, you know, good luck with the work. <laughs> hey, man, thank you. It's good uh, to talk to you. It's great to talk to you. Can I say one thing to you? Yeah. 
I think you are the best talker to people going. <laughs> Thank you. It's true. I mean it. I will tell you honestly, I was, I've had this commute for years and there was this moment two years into it where I started listening to your show a yeah. lot. Yeah. And it was like a great moment. Oh, good. Yeah. It was like <laughs> a thing where it was like, and it's partly because you've talked to everybody and you've talked to them great. But there's just this kind of humanity to the whole thing. You get to something with people that makes everybody feel uh, human and uh, highlights the connectedness of people oh, in good. a way that I really do uh, appreciate and admire. And uh, I, I love the show. Oh, thank you so much. How do you feel about our conversation? You all right? I was. Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> It's all right for you? Yeah, it was great. I'm glad we did it. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how interesting it'll be to whoever, but that's not my. Uh, that, you know, that's not mine to judge. You, uh, I think. I think you will judge. It'll it. be interesting to people who are interested in this. Well, I think. The, I think the, like. I think the journey is 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 always interesting, especially when you, you know, what's interesting to me about talking to somebody like you is is you know sort of. You, that a lot of times people in show business or people outside of show business make these assumptions about families who who continue to work in show business generationally. Yeah, sure. And and the the truth of the matter is a lot of times it's it's no different than any other job. Yeah. That you you know you grow up in something and and you your your father or your mo- brother or your mother whatever they work in this thing and you look at it and you learn it. Yeah. And despite whatever level anyone operates on, and I think what was interesting about talking to you is that you know you look at your father's track record and there were some hits and misses, yeah. but he's a very thoughtful uh uh you know screenwriter and and, yeah. and he's he's high minded and and he takes risks. Yeah. And uh and then to Sort of learn about your evolution in growing up in that, and and how he had an effect on you, and 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 seeing your ability to sort of move through your own processes is pretty amazing. And then on top of it all, your dad's like back in the the yeah, crazy. the Star Wars game, yeah. And it's sort of exactly what you're talking about. So whether you know it or not, yeah. uh, your weird kind of practical optimism uh, <laughs> about about being open to uh, to collaborating and new experiences and not becoming cynical about your own uh, about your own career in any way uh, despite whether you love what you're doing or not on on the level of 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 the actual uh product yeah uh you know is is a testament to to working hard and, and having a good point of view about it yeah i mean i think you know i usually love it for enough time to do it fully no you don't seem like someone who hates what you're doing no never never I'm never working on anything I hate what I'm I think that I do have a probably something I got from him and probably something that you relate to on some level I'd imagine (laughs) which is a sense of um you hope to be building some larger thing look i'm a hundred percent in support of the 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 day jake breaks out i i you know i i'm with you on that i'll be here for you when it happens when, when i mean the even the little stuff though you know it's yeah, like yeah. The, you're building a body of you work. have to look at it like that you think of it like yeah the yeah what you're worried about on any given day it's all will fit into some of course it's all all the experience life. Of doing the work, yeah, is going to to you know add. Yeah, exactly there's nothing right. no, nothing's going to take away from unless you shut down and 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 turn part of yourself off. You know yeah. the part of you that that part of you that you talk about that I can hear right underneath your throat that where you're sort of like ah, something's gonna I'm gonna do the thing. 
<laughs> I got to do another I thing go, soon. I love that I'm like completely transparent. Again, you, you, you just sit with enough of that. What was sitting directly beneath the president's throat? <laughs> Why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Good to talk it's to you. Great man. talking to you, man. Sweet guy. Good talk. Has a career in show business. That's a real career in show business, right there, people. Go to WTFPod.com. Get that Howl app for Android and everything else. Get in there and register to win a thing, a piece of my garage. Uh, get on the mailing list. Check the episode guide. See who's been on. I, I, I do field those questions. Get some justcoffee.coop over there. Oh, my God.